How do you explain the unexplainable? How do you describe that which cannot be described? How do you shatter people's preconceived notions about who God is and what God is like? And how do you do all of these things in a way that captivates the minds of the simplest thinkers and the world's greatest thinkers at the same time? You would have to be flat out brilliant to do all of these things. Enter Jesus of Nazareth, a simple carpenter born to poor parents in a nondescript village in Palestine over 2,000 years ago. And how did he do these things? Explain the unexplainable, describe the undescribable, shatter people's preconceived notions of God and do it in such a way that everyone could understand? He told simple stories. In fact, one-third of all of Jesus' words are parables, these stories, stories he told to religious people and to irreligious people, to simple peasants and to great theologians. And every story he told was meant to provoke new thought about God and about people and a new way of living with God and with people. He told stories about everyday life and they usually had some kind of surprise twist. And that twist was meant to, first of all, shatter people's preconceived notions about God and then to shock them into seeing God and reality and life and themselves and their neighbor in a new way. And they were always, parables were and still are always meant to evoke a response. They were meant as an invitation into a whole new life in the kingdom of God. We need to remember, Jesus often taught parables to people who already thought they knew the truth about God. These are the most difficult people to teach. And we are sometimes those people. I am sometime that person. I have my tiny, tidy, narrow, misguided views of God, and Jesus overturns and upsets them almost every day. And I need him to, and I bet some of you do too. And this is one of the many reasons that we're very excited that we're gonna spend the entire summer, the next 11 weeks, exploring the parables of Jesus. We're also gonna do the same thing on the daily scriptures. And our deepest prayer, Really, our deepest prayer is that these timeless, brilliant, simple stories would shatter all of our preconceived notions about God, and they would make us stand in awe of the sheer intellectual genius of Jesus, and that they would cause us to live more fully in God's new kingdom. That's the invitation in the midst of our ordinary days. And so we look forward to, and I put these in your bulletin because I think this is a really important way for all of us to constantly be understanding the parables. We look forward to answering several questions about each of the parables. First of all, why did Jesus teach this parable? What provoked him to tell this story? Secondly, what was the main point? How did Jesus' listeners, when they heard it 2,000 some years ago, how did they understand it? And then therefore, how should we understand it today? So we're gonna dig right in 
to the first parable of the summer, the parable of the lost sheep. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and I also put it in your bulletin so you can follow along. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse one. This is what Luke writes. He said, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So these are all the irreligious people, the people who somehow didn't make it through the, through the cut, right, of being righteous people. Verse two, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the religious leaders, muttered, we're gonna talk about that word in just a minute. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Okay, so the very first question, why did Jesus teach this parable? Who was he speaking to? What prompted him to tell this story? Answered right away, right here, in the very opening that Luke sets up in the very first few chapter, uh, verses. And it helps us to understand when we get to thinking about what was the main point, why was Jesus telling the story, what point was he trying, trying to drive home. Knowing who he's talking to and why he started to tell the story helps us understand this. So Jesus tells this parable, and if you go home and read the rest of Luke 15, he tells two more parables very similar to it in response to the Pharisees muttering about Jesus eating with sinners. Now the word mutter, it means just what it sounds like, right? And so in order to get a feel for that, I want us now to all say the word kind of under our breath a little bit quite a few times, okay? This is audience participation. So wake up, buckle up, here we go. Ready? Mutter, 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 mutter. Keep going. Sing with me now, mutter, 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 mutter. Okay, thank you. That was awesome. That's what the Pharisees were doing, and that's what it sounded like when Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners. So the religious leaders had one particular view about God, but Jesus was presenting an entirely different view. And he was welcoming broken, busted up, sinful people, and he was even eating meals with them, which as we've talked about before in here, means he was accepting them. He was also signaling that God was accepting them. And sometimes, to the religious folk of the day, it felt like Jesus was ignoring them in order to pay attention to those irreligious tax collectors and sinners, and so they were muttering about it. And they did this a lot because they thought they were right with God and they believed that they got to decide who was excluded. Note to myself, <laughs> I, I thought this as I got to this, hardly even got into the parable. If I ever catch myself in this same attitude, thinking that I get to mutter about all those sinners who are waltzing into the kingdom of God, I am on thin ice with Jesus at that moment. So in response to all this muttering, Jesus tells this parable. And remember, he's talking to religious people and irreligious people all at the same time. This is what it says. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I want you to know something. The minute Jesus opened his mouth and says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, 
Again, he's ticked the religious leaders off, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, because they considered a shepherd to be an unclean, irreligious, too beneath them profession. So rather than trying to pull his audience in by starting with a nice little hook, Jesus punches him right in the face at the very beginning. And I'm sure as the religious leaders were open-mouthed in shock, the irreligious sinners and tax collectors were whispering to each other like, oh no, he didn't, he just did. He just compared them to a shepherd. It was awesome. So Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, right? So he's saying, imagine you're a shepherd, you have a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Wouldn't you leave the 99 of your other sheep in the open country and go after the lost sheep until you find it? And then verse five, and when he finds it, when he finds the lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Now that sounds kind of weird to us, right? Like why would you put the sheep on your shoulder? Just walk it home. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, uh, uh, some people who've studied Middle Eastern culture, and they, I don't know anything about sheep, so if I'm wrong, forgive me, but this is what the people who studied the Middle East said, that a lost sheep usually lies down and gives up and will not find its way back on its own. So it gets lost, it lays down, it gets stuck, and then like a toddler having a small hissy fit who won't leave the house, it just simply lays there. The only way the shepherd could take it back home was to literally pick it up and put it on its shoulders. I love that little piece of information. So, and when he finds it, he joyfully, joyfully, remember that word, puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Isn't that a beautiful story? Jesus continues, verse seven, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Note about verse seven, don't get hung up on it, okay? Most of the scholars say, a lot of people haggle over this idea, well there are some people who don't need to repent and some people who do need to repent. Don't get hung up here, that is not the main point of this parable. Jesus is not saying in here that 99 out of 100 people don't need to repent while only one person does, so don't even try that one. He's just trying to make a point here at the end about the joy that God experiences when people far from him are found. This is a statement about joy and far less about repentance. So this story that Jesus tells right here is what is called an interrogative parable. Big word, I put it up on the screen for you. And an interrogative parable has these three steps. You'll see them in the story. Jesus sets up a hypothetical situation, right? So you see him do that at the beginning. Imagine a shepherd who has 100 sheep and loses one, right? That's the hypothetical situation. He forces the reader, this is the second point, to to answer, or the hearer, to answer the question. So he says to them, wouldn't a shepherd then leave the 99 and go find his one lost sheep? Everybody listening knew. The answer to that question is yes, because sheep are incredibly valuable. 
Third, third part of this interrogative parable, he then forces the listener to transfer that answer, yes, a shepherd would go leave the 99 to find the one, to, and he transfers that answer to another arena. So what Jesus was doing with this story was forcing this thought for his listeners. If a human shepherd is willing to leave 99 sheep in order to go find one lost animal because it is so valuable to him, then don't you think God is willing to move heaven and earth out of love to seek, find, and rejoice over one lost human being? Do you see how this is a slight rebuke of the Pharisees muttering? This is a story about the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God toward people, toward wayward people, people like you and like me, and even toward people like the Pharisees who never think they are lost. Because you know what? There are lots of different ways to be lost. There are lots of different ways to be lost. So a parable is told to make one point, to communicate a single message, a message which always offers an invitation that usually requires a response. And so what is the message of this parable? My daughter, oldest daughter Hannah, when she first came out of college, worked in New York City with a young Jewish woman. And uh, they, uh, at times, took each other to their uh, religious services. So Hannah took her friend Nomi to Nomi's first ever Good Friday service. Nomi had never been to a Good Friday church service. So they went to the Good Friday service uh, celebrating the crucifixion, the, the death of Jesus. And Nomi came out of the service and she said this to Hannah. She said, Hannah, my faith, my Jewish faith, seems to have as its center this idea of human beings trying to get to God. But your faith seems to be way more about God coming to people. Yes, Nomi, yes. As Jesus' listeners heard this parable, I bet some of them were as captivated by Jesus as Hannah's Jewish friend. They heard him tell this story and they were thinking, what? You're telling me that God is a God who seeks people? A God who seeks us when we're far away from him, intentionally or unintentionally? I mean, we don't know why that sheep was lost. You're telling me they're thinking there is a God who never ceases looking for us even when we least deserve to be found? This is new, they would have been thinking. This is incredible news that this is who God is. This is good news. You see, their preconceived notion about God that needed to be shatters, shattered was, it, was, was that humans need to do what we can to get to God, to seek him, to get his attention somehow. 
to get him to love us, to think we're valuable, to pay attention to us. Their mindset was that God would never stoop so low as to leave the 99 to come looking for me. But Jesus, through this simple story, was telling them that God does, that God does seek us out. And then, rather than screaming at the sheep for being lost, parents, have you ever found yourself screaming at your child in fear and anger after you thought they were lost? Isn't this a stunning response to the fact that you've just found your child? You scream at them in anger. The shepherd doesn't do that. He joyfully puts the lost lamb on his shoulders. He puts us on his shoulders and he carries us home and he calls all of his friends to come rejoice with him. All of Jesus' listeners, the religious leaders and the tax collectors and the sinners, remember this was a mixed crowd, would have been shocked by this picture of God. Some of them would have been weeping with joy and others would have been deeply offended. Jesus' main point, the main point of this parable is that God is a seeking, finding, rejoicing God. But his secondary purpose in telling this story was to demonstrate to the religious leaders that their muttering, grumpy, judgmental attitude was in direct opposition to God's. Jesus was very deliberate. You read the rest of the Gospels. He was very deliberate in his choice to eat meals with people known to be sinners. And he knew it would hack off the religious leaders. And he knew it would be hilariously attractive to the sinners. And he did it for all of them so he could shatter their misunderstandings of God so that they would be open to a new, true understanding of God. You have to have those preconceived, tightly held notions of God shattered first. And so by his actions and through the other parables, this parable and the others like it in this chapter of Luke, Jesus was teaching that God's forgiveness was now for everyone and that the doors of the kingdom were open much wider than previously thought. The party invitations so to speak, we're going to go to the entire first grade class and not just the popular kids. That just ticks people off sometimes. He was both rebuking the mutterers and at the same time inviting them to join the kingdom party that had just started because of his presence. Instead of complaining about the guest list, he wanted them to put on their party shoes. And he wants us to do the same thing too. So how do we understand this parable today? This is the question then that we have to tip over into so that we can understand what the invitation is to us today. What invitation is God offering us? He's inviting us to a new way or maybe for some of us a deeper understanding of the way that we see him. 
and a new way to see other people and to see ourselves. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about this, about us. And so Jesus tells this story so that what comes to mind when you and I think about God is that God has the heart of a good shepherd. You can put that first picture up. These are real shepherds in the Middle East carrying lost sheep home. That God is a seeking, finding, rejoicing God. God wants us to, when we think about him, he wants us to know that he wants to find people. That God never stops looking for people. That his love for people <clears throat> propels him outward. And that he places high priority on those people who are far away from his father for whatever reason. He places high priority on them. His love, his pursuit, his search, his energy is relentless and it is unceasing. And despite, you know, our sometimes obsession with why or how people are lost, the shepherd in this story does not seem obsessed at all with why the sheep has gotten lost. His only obsession is with getting the lost sheep back. And he celebrates when he finds the sheep. There's no demonstration of anger at it for being lost. Jesus wants us to know that God goes to the ends of the earth to find lost people and bring them back to himself. That is the point of this parable. That God will not rest until everything and everyone who is lost is some way brought back home. This is the God Jesus wants people to know. And by insinuation then, Jesus is teaching through this parable how very valuable every single human being is to God. Every human being, hear this, who is far away from God in some way, which is all of us, Every single one of us, because remember, there are different ways to be lost. Every single one of us is of immeasurable worth to God. And our distance from him, our lostness, makes us his priority. He left the 99 to go find the one. This is why Jesus ate and drank with sinners. This is why he sometimes overlooked the overtly righteous. He is laser focused on those far away. And when a person is alienated from God in any, for any reason, God does not hate them. He does not turn his back on them. He does not cross his arms and tap his feet and purse his lips in disgust that they are lost. He moves toward them in love. And get this, Christians in 2017 in America, <laughs> This means that God moves in love even toward those we dislike, who feel like our enemies. So when you and I interact with other human beings, especially those we don't like, we must remember, you can put that next picture up, that God is searching for them like a shepherd would search for a valuable lost sheep. But he also moves 
toward those we do love. And some of you this morning are panic-stricken about somebody in your life, somebody you love very much who feels lost to you. This parable should absolutely free you from fear and from the kind of anxiety that can sometimes push you to manipulate or force or coerce or hound or guilt people. Anybody do that when you're anxious about someone? This parable tells you it is not up to you. You do not have to push parents, grandparents. This is especially big for you. It is not your job to find your lost little sheep. It is your job to love them. It is your job to pray for them. It is your job to remember that God loves them exponentially more than you do. And you can trust your loved one to the good, good shepherd who will not rest until he finds his lost little sheep. You can put the next picture up. There is a God and he is good. And he is moving heaven and earth, seeking after that person you love with a fervency and a furious love and a longing that is bigger and wider and better than you can even imagine. And he will not rest until your lost little sheep, his son, his daughter, is brought home. Remember, there are lots of different ways to be lost. And some of you, right now, in this room this morning, are lost. You're lost for whatever reason. I don't know what it is, and I don't think that reason really matters to God. You feel distance from the shepherd. You have strayed intentionally or unintentionally, and you don't know how to get back home, right? So you just lay down. Like a sheep, you're stuck now. And some of you don't even believe that God cares enough to look for you. You might even be afraid for him to find you because you're scared he's going to yell at you because you got lost. Here's the truth. You may feel alienated from God, But that alienation, that sense of lostness, is completely one-sided. Because no matter how lost you feel, no matter how lost you actually are, here is the deepest truth of all. God is desperately searching for you. And it is his love that propels him toward you. And he will not rest. He will not rest until he finds you. When you are the most far from God, you are his top priority. You can put up that last picture. You are not the object of his scorn. He is not ticked off at you and judging you. No. You know what he's doing? He's leaving the 99. He's chasing you down. He's racing through the forest. He's beating the bushes. He's flipping over the seat cushions. He's racing out of the driveway. He's calling the cops. He's filing a missing person's claim. He's calling your cell phone over and over and over and over. He's putting out an amber alert. He's walking the neighborhood, frantically calling your name. And all you have to do is let him find you. 
Let him rejoice over you. Let him put you gently on his shoulders, bring you home, call all your friends, and throw you a party. The question is not, how did you get lost? Why did you get lost? What did you do to make yourself lost? How mad is God at you because you're lost? What do you do to need to make yourself worthy of being found? The question isn't even, is God looking for you? Are you worthy enough for him to look for you? No, according to this parable, God's heart for you is like the heart of a human shepherd desperately searching for his beloved and incredibly valuable lost sheep. It is a heart of overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. God wants to find you, rejoice over you, put you on his shoulders, and carry you home for a party. The question is, are you willing to let him find you? God, it is not necessarily our ignorance of you that causes the problems. Very often, it's our misguided, preconceived notions of you that can damage our life, that can keep us away from you, and that can ruin how we think about and how we should think about other people. So thank you for, thank you for coming here as Jesus. Thank you for the sheer brilliance of his stories. Thank you for the way they smack us in the face and welcome us home all at the same time. Thank you that they change the way we think about you, about other people, and about ourselves all at the same time. And so God, when we leave here today, may we be filled up afresh with this new powerful understanding that you are a seeking, finding, rejoicing, God. Amen.